0: This is the second episode of a special five-part series, January 6th, Views from the House. Recently, we spoke with 14 members of Congress who shared their stories about where they were and what they saw on January 6th when a mob stormed the U.S. Capitol trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. This week, we hear from Representatives Zoe Lofgren, Democrat of California, Rodney Davis, Republican of Illinois, and Madeline Dean, Democrat of Pennsylvania the first voice you'll hear is former Vice President Mike Pence, who was presiding over the joint session that day.
1: Madam Speaker, members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session to verify the certificates and count the votes of the electors of the several states for president and vice president of the United States.
0: At 1 p.m. on January 6th, The House and Senate met in joint session to count the electoral votes of the 2020 presidential election. An hour later, a mob entered the Capitol with the intention of disrupting the vote. As the protesters moved closer to the Senate and House chambers, Vice President Pence and Speaker Pelosi were evacuated to safe locations. Minutes later, security officials ushered House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and other congressional leadership off the House floor. With tension rising in the building, The House and Senate abruptly recessed.
2: Without objection, the House is going to go back into recess.
0: There were a few dozen members of Congress in the House chamber at that time, including Representative Zoe Lofgren and Rodney Davis, who both served as tellers for the counting of electoral votes. First, California Democrat Zoe Lofgren, who chairs the House Administration Committee. She starts by telling us about why she was sitting on the House dais that day.
3: So um, I am chair of the House Administration uh, Committee and uh, was tasked uh, as such with being one of the tellers uh, for the uh, receiving the the electoral college votes, myself and the ranking member, Mr. Davis and the rules committee, which is the equivalent committee in the Senate, uh, Roy Blunt and Amy Klobuchar. And when there was an objection uh, to the, uh, Arizona, uh, electoral college votes, uh, we broke as the constitution provides and the, um, statute provides into our separate bodies. Of course, we were already in the house chambers. Um, I had been working uh, with a team of other house members to try and prepare. We were, had heard that the, there could be challenges that we thought were improper. And, uh, so we had worked myself and Joe Nagus and uh Jamie Raskin and and some others uh, um to prepare our team for that discussion. And we really decided that it, you know the, the primary uh, people to defend the votes of the states were the del-, del you know the members of Congress from that state. And so we had uh, a, a lot of data and information um that we were able to provide state delegations that might be challenged. And, uh, but I gave, I, I think uh, I was the first to speak on the democratic side, defending the constitution. And at the conclusion of my remarks, uh, I needed to stay on the floor as a resource for the other members, but a lot of the Republican members were not wearing masks. And I was wanted to stay as far away from their, their air as I could. I didn't want to get infected. So I went into the cloakroom, the Democratic cloakroom. There was no one there. And I felt uh, somewhat, you know, safer in terms of the COVID uh, exposure from the Republicans. And we had the their TVs in the uh, cloakroom. And one was uh, on to the floor proceedings. And I thought, well, I'll turn the other one on to... Um, news see what's going on and when i did i saw that there was this tremendous mob uh outside uh the the congress and that they uh, appeared to be breaking into the congress and uh in fact it looked like they had broken into the congress So I went back out on the floor and um, no one seemed to be aware of that that was going on. Um, and I went back into the cloakroom. By then there was a, one of the cloakroom staffers uh, had, um, with a Capitol police officer, was trying to lock the doors. The doors into the uh, cloakroom are bomb proof. I mean, they're really heavy and there's a lock and the, uh, police officer was able to lock it so that people outside of the cloakroom couldn't get in, but he couldn't, there was some problem with the mechanism. He couldn't lock it. So people couldn't go out through that door. And I remember the staffer in the cloakroom saying, no one's going out. Don't worry about that. Um, and I remember I went out, uh, back on the floor and by then, uh, it seemed pretty apparent that there was a big problem. And I remember talking to Tom O'Halloran, who is a former sheriff and really an expert in security. And I said, Tom, I think there's a problem. I think, uh, you know, uh, there's a mob that's broken in. And he said, well, you know, don't worry about that. There'll be a SWAT team on them, you know, very soon. And I thought, I'm not adequately explaining what's going on here. I mean, Tom was waiting on the floor to speak. And by then... We could hear um, pounding uh, on, on the doors. And um, at some point, I talked to, um, and I, I can't remember in what order, but uh, the sergeant at arms who, um, sergeant of arms, who, who didn't seem uh, too alarmed at the time, actually, um, but set, and, and we were getting alerts on our phones like the uh, canon office building had been locked down and uh, you know shelter in place and uh, around that point, I looked and realized that the speaker who had been presiding was being whisked away by her security team, and that's about um you know she's second in line to the presidency, uh, you know, uh, the vice president, and then the speaker in terms of line of succession. And I thought, you know, this, we're in trouble here. Um, Jim McGovern, uh, the chairman of the rules committee went to preside to try and keep uh, matters going.
2: Members will take their seats. The House will be in order.
3: Um, a police officer came and uh, made an announcement that the capitol had been breached. Uh, we had a breach of the capitol building. That is why we ordered a lockdown of both chambers, the House and the Senate. Uh, capitol Police is responding to the uh, area. Hurricane- I think at some point, McGovern realized that we were not going to be able to continue the the proceedings. Uh, a Capitol officer came and said that it was necessary to evacuate, and that we should take the hoods. There, you know, there are hoods under the seat of each um, each uh, a seat in the, in the in the chamber. Take them out and be prepared to put them on. Um, So everybody did. And um, I think when you pull the little red tag, it it activates it. And so there was, people weren't wearing them. Uh, There had been tear gas um, released in the chamber, in the um, rotunda, which was why we were advised that we might need to wear them but there was this tremendous kind of whirring hissing noise from all these hoods. It was the background of of, uh, uh, the moment. And of course the pounding and the the noise from the mob had become much louder. Um, At some point, someone uh, up in the uh, chambers, in the gallery, a member uh, was yelling at the Republicans to call Trump and have Trump call call off his mob. Um, and there was uh, some little yelling back and forth among members in the in the gallery.
2: Anybody? Call Trump Tell him to call off his friend. Call your to do something.
3: It was pretty orderly on the House floor where I was um, and I as we uh, were told to evacuate, uh, we were um, really brought to out to the uh, speaker's gallery and down a stairway. And at that point, I mean, we could hear people at the other end of the hallway, uh, the mob. And um, I was down the stairs when glass was being broken. I think the officer that... Um, uh, prevented the mob from entering probably saved our lives because we were not completely evacuated. We were walking down the stairs and there was one member who was quite infirm with a cane. He was in the front of the line. So everybody was backed up in back of him. And I thought, well, maybe we ought to lift him up and move him down a little quicker. Um, and ultimately, uh, we got, uh, to, uh, the, uh, Rayburn, uh, uh tunnel over to uh, the uh, Longworth, well, capital to Rayburn and then to Longworth where we walked. And um, it was a large group. I didn't count how many members, but a fairly large group. And uh, they were going to shelter them in a a room in the uh, Longworth building. And, you know, my office is in the Longworth building. And I thought, you know, I'm on the fourth floor. I don't I think I'll just go there. So they went right. I went left and uh, went up to the fourth floor of my office, which was barricaded. My chief of staff was there and had uh, all by herself moved this gigantic table uh, to block the door. And so she unblocked it enough for me to get in. And I realized then that we were probably at least safe from the mob uh, for the moment. I mean, throughout this time, my, um, family, especially my son and daughter had been texting me, uh, making sure that I was safe. And I said, well, you know, I'm safe. I'm on the floor of the house. And they're going, we don't think so. (laughs) And um, so I was able to text them that I was in my office. And I felt that, uh, you know, looking out the window, I have a view of the Capitol. I could see the uh, tremendous chaos um, across the street and uh, that it was really uncontrolled, um, and I didn't know what would happen next. Whether uh, mobs would breach uh, the office buildings and their search to hunt down members or really uh, what was going on. I was I re- I did text the authorities wondering why uh, steps were not being taken to control uh, the mob, and I realize now it's because the uh, forces were completely overwhelmed. They couldn't have actually have done that. Um, but I, w- I couldn't help but contrast uh, the kind of uh, very aggressive uh, crowd control measures used against um, Black Lives Ma- Matter demonstrators who were, for the most part, peaceful and the reaction to this violent uh, mob. Um, so... Um, you know, that was we waited there for you know many hours until uh finally the guard arrived and the matter was under control. I was uh on the phone, of course, with um uh, Jamie Fleet, the staff director for house admin, who was over there. And I said, It's essential that we get back into the building itself, there was an opportunity to go finish our business at a secure location. I said, That's not going to be good enough we need to show the country that uh, we're the mob did not overturn this government. And of course the speaker was thinking, thinking the same thing. Um, Jamie went over and said it was really a mess. I mean, actually the mob never got into the chambers, our chambers, they did the Senate, but he said there was blood on the floor and uh, it was a really The place had been trashed and the, um, The janitorial staff was over there cleaning it up, um, making sure that the Congress could reconvene. And as soon as it was safe and the bomb dogs had been through, uh, we did reconvene. And um, I was there till the end, at the the end of all of the accounting, uh, the tellers had to stay and sign things. So I, uh, I didn't get back to my residence in D.C. till after 3. And that's when I knew that I was safe.
4: And when you got to your residence at 3 a.m., do you remember the feeling and the thoughts you had as you presumably sort of had time to reflect on the day?
3: I really felt, you know, what a tragic day for uh, the United States that this frenzied mob um, could have reached the Capitol, something that didn 't even happen in the Civil War, and uh, try and essentially overthrow the government I mean we were in the in the middle of a constitutional process that is key to implementing the votes of the American people in this in the uh, selection of their next president, and they tried to prevent that from happening its a sedition um, So that was, it was a very, um, very troubling day for the United States.
0: Also on the House dais that day was Illinois Republican Rodney Davis, the House Administration Committee's ranking member. He recounts his experience at the front of the House chamber on January
2: 6th. I was one of the four tellers that was tasked with reading the Electoral College results from each state. Stand uh, sitting in front of the the vice president and also the speaker of the house. And this has been a pretty perfunctory operation. uh, When I've been witnessing it before as a member of Congress, we knew this one was going to be a little more, uh, you know, a little more popular to watch, uh, but at the same time, I didn't think we would see what we saw that day.
4: And you were one of the tellers. And at what point do you realize something's going on outside of the chamber doors.
2: Well, earlier in the day, I just anticipated being on the floor for a very long time. And I remember being over in Rayburn and I was grabbing a quick bite to eat at the subway shop. That's that's in the basement. And I'm like, you know, I better just go ahead and get two sandwiches. So I might be able to come back here during a debate and, and eat the, the, eat the other one for dinner later. And I got those two sandwiches and I remember uh, I remember thinking to myself that this will be somewhat normal and just be a long day and we'll get through it and, and listen to the debate, have the votes and what have you. But I started noticing something wasn't right when we began debating Arizona. And while that debate was going on, I went down to the Sergeant at Arms office and I saw on the many video screens that they had of the outdoor cameras, I saw different parts of the perimeter being breached. I saw our Capitol police officers in the Capitol, uh, basically panicking—not panicking, uh, not panicking but, but being a, a very high-alert, somewhat panicked mode. And that is when I uh, I ran back to my office and I like I'm going to eat at least one of these sandwiches real quick while I'm I'm waiting to get some answers. And my team called me because they were on the floor, my house administration team. And that was Jen Dalby, my staff director, Tim Monahan, my deputy staff director, uh, Nick Crocker, my director of member services, and Caleb Hayes, who's my general counsel. Uh, Jen called me and said, I think you better get back here. They're talking about closing the floor down. And I hurried up and ate my sandwiches as I was walking out my office door. And I was walking onto the floor as leadership was being evacuated. And I saw Steve Scalise and his team going out as I was going in. Did you have a conversation with them? uh, It was, um, let's just say my comment um, can now be summed up via text as WTF. And did they say
4: anybody from leadership tell you what was going on as they were being exited out, or did they have any
2: comment? No, we all knew what was going on. Uh, I had already seen the outer perimeter being breached on those video screens in the Sergeant at Arms Office. So I was going onto the floor while they were leaving. And just minutes later, that's when uh, all the doors were shut. Uh, We were seeing footage of the Senate being breached. So everybody was on pretty high alert. And I was talking to new members, uh, helping them to open up the hoods that I'd never touched before. In my eight years as a member of Congress, now we're, we're figuring out how to open them and how to possibly put them on, which I never had to do. Uh, but at the same time, there were a lot of freshmen there that I'd gotten to know during orientation that this was their first real experience as a member of Congress. And we were kind of watching them and 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 talking to my my fellow colleagues about what we could do to try and stop this. What were What were those conversations like? Tell us about them. Well, I I remember a conversation I had with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie was a freshman. She was very active during the orientation. And uh, she was very upset about what was going on. And her and I chatted. She said, what can I do? I said, how about you go back in the cloakroom, film a video, post it on social media. And if you have any influence over anybody out there, tell them to stop. She did that. Um, Those are the types. That's just one example of the types of conversations we had during that short time before we were evacuated off the floor. So
4: you're waiting, you're watching, and what do the Capitol Police, or who, evacuates you off the floor? What was that like?
2: Well, the uh, most superior Capitol Police officer, after all of the internal doors were locked, and the wooden doors that I've you know, really not seen on the inside, because usually they're open when we're coming through them, Uh, they were all locked and those doors began to be pounded on by the folks who broke into the Capitol. Uh, They were offering instructions to remain calm and stay in the chamber. The chamber is safe. And then next thing you know, they said, everybody move to this side, this exit. And when we were going uh, about exiting in an orderly fashion on what I I would say is the uh, Republican side of the speaker's lobby, um, we could hear the pounding going on, uh, on the speaker's lobby doors. I was with my my team and we were near the end of of all the members being evacuated some members i would ask hey are you okay i remember giving Jeannie raskin a big hug uh as he was evacuating because of what happened with his son just a few days or or weeks earlier I hadn't had a chance to see him yet um that you know thinking back that was pretty surreal now to think about uh that at the time but you know uh, just the tragedy that he went through and now going through the evacuation off the house floor. I I just, I felt for him and everybody else, but I walked out the door and immediately ran into one of my colleagues, uh, Ron Wright, who has since passed away, but was undergoing treatments for lung cancer. He couldn't walk down the stairs. So the bottom line is, uh, a capital police officer and I picked Ron up and we carried him down the stairs. And by the grace of God, uh, there was a wheelchair on the first floor that we used to get him fully evacuated.
4: What were you, I mean, what were you thinking as you were going about
2: this? Uh, how brave the Capitol police officer You know, I've seen that bravery uh, already uh, on the baseball field and, Alexandria, Virginia, just a few years ago. I saw what well-trained officers do when they run toward gunfire so all of us could run away from it. And I saw that same bravery uh, from the Capitol Police that day as we were being evacuated and and as they wanted to do their job to get everybody safely off that floor and out of that speaker's lobby and into uh, a a safer area. Uh, It was very surreal when I I was able to go back to the Capitol before everyone else. You know, we finally left the floor at 4 a.m. I, I was one of the last people off the floor after signing the official, uh, the the official canvases, uh, watched the vice president leave Speaker Pelosi and others. I went back to my office and uh, I went back to my office and changed because I had a, a 6 30 a.m. flight back home. So I go from uh, I, I go from, being a teller on the House floor to complete a process that's going to go down in our nation's history is one of the worst days in, in the legislative branch history. But in the end, I'm going back in jeans. I go put my jeans on, a hat on, a coat on, and I go take a quick nap at the United Gate at Reagan National. And the irony is, as I woke up, there were people that could have been in the Capitol that day that were sitting around next to us getting on our fly. So I don't think they realize the impact of the decision that they may have made to break the law and disobey a direct order and come into that Capitol. And they should be held accountable for that.
0: While Congressman Davis was acting as a teller, Democrat Madeline Dean was preparing to debate the challenge to electoral votes from her home state of Pennsylvania. Here's how she started her day.
5: I was preparing for the Pennsylvania challenge uh, to the electors. So what I wanted to do, and we were doing it in a distance way, I wanted to listen in on the first challenge, which was Arizona. So I had left my office in Cannon. Uh, I had an allotted time to go up to the gallery to to listen in and observe. At the same time, I was finalizing my remarks, Uh, and so as I waited in the gallery and heard the arguments being made. I remember standing in the gallery next to Dean Phillips, Congressman Dean Phillips, uh, and the two of us were listening to the arguments and just saying, oh, shame, shame to be making these false arguments. Um, in anticipation of the day, uh, I made sure that none of my staff was in. We expected it could be a difficult, We had planned that I would park underground, that I would use only the underground tunnels, knowing that there could be outside uh, protests of some kinds. And so out of an abundance of of safety and caution, I made sure we stayed underground. I made sure nobody was in our offices uh, and I was up in the gallery. Uh, The very first uh, notice that something was wrong was we had a strange I was standing next to Dean and there was a strange announcement from the floor which was uh, sit down, would everybody please sit down? And then uh, we complied, of course. Uh, And then it was, would everybody either kneel or prepare to lie on the ground? And uh, that was just strange and and stunning. Uh, With that, I started to plan and I thought, well, there is this front wall in the gallery. Maybe I would just shield myself behind a front wall if there's some concern. So I started to move down a few you know, sort of stadium seating there, uh, down a few rows, uh, and in fact, encouraged uh, another colleague to come with me. Uh, And then with that, they said, would you take out your gas masks? They're under your seats. I had no idea there were gas masks under the seat. Uh, That stunned me. And so we all scrambled and got the gas masks. I don't know if you saw some of the footage of that, but they are triple wrapped. So we were helping one another, kneeling down on the ground, trying to protect ourselves, um, unwrapping these tinfoil wrappers, uh, and um, finally readied our gas mask. I remember looking over, and um, Veronica Escobar was wearing a beautiful white jacket and standing and on a phone trying to get her gas mask, and I thought she just looks like too, too beautiful a target, and I'm yelling at her, get down, lean down. Uh, and then they said, please put on your gas masks. Uh, the, uh, the rioters have reached the rotunda and tear gas has been dispensed. All the while, I, I have to admit somewhere in me, the, there was there is this maybe protective mechanism where you think, well, all right, these are all very important protections they are signaling to us, but certainly they won't be necessary here in the chamber. And the moment that I thought that, I heard the banging on the chamber doors, the ramming sort of uh, baton-like into the chamber doors. That, to me, signaled the extraordinary seriousness of it, having no idea the numbers or anything else. But to hear that banging, it it was the most frightening sound and made it extremely real. With that, we were told, get our gas masks on, wait instructions to go across uh, the top of the gallery, and, and to uh, a safe place. Um, but the, I was terrified. I called my husband. I called my son. I feel bad now. I scared them.
4: And what were those conversations like with your husband and your son? I remember my son, I could hear his wife there.
5: They were on speakerphone together, and they were just begging me to stay safe. I I do feel bad that I scared them. Um, But I I always had confidence that we'd be all right. I I didn't really get the gravity of it. I did sort of visualize that from that place where the piercing of the doors took place, that certainly a weapon, uh, I pictured, you know, sort of an uh, AR style weapon spraying uh, around the chamber and you could just have uh, at your targets. Uh, both on the ground and up in the gallery. So that's why I just kept staying below that wall. So um, the conversations where I tried to assure them that they will get us to a safe spot, I'll be all right.
4: And what were the conversations like with your colleagues as you're, as you're trying to hide yourself and protect yourself behind that wall in the gallery?
5: that it was unreal. Um, I kept using the expression actually as the arguments were going on, um, that do they recognize they've taken this lie so far, too far? Um, and, And that's what I talked with Dean about as we were waiting there. It's just, don't they realize how dangerously far they have taken this lie, these false arguments, how they've misled the American people into having Americans attack Americans? But I have to admit to you, Greta, because we did not have the benefit of television. Um, I had no idea the numbers. I remember at one point, prior to the to the breaking into the gallery, I stepped. Across, I wanted to go back to the office, Cannon House Office Building, to finish my remarks. And as I tried to, a very nice, uh, very tall uh, Capitol Police officer said, "Ma'am, you can't go back there. There's a bomb threat." So I thought I will peek at, she said, go back to wherever you just were. So I said, I'm going back to the gallery. I peeked out a window in a darkened office. I actually went into this darkened, open office and peeked out sort of a porthole window up at the top uh, of that portion of of the, the gallery and saw the other side of the Capitol, the plaza side. And there weren't so many protesters. You could see some, but it didn't look anything like what was happening on the other side. Uh, So I had some reassurance. This is prior to the banging, but some reassurance that, you know, all was well, at least on this side. With that, I heard a radio system talking uh, about um, uh, infiltration of the Capitol Visitor Center, almost like a radio report uh, that someone had gotten into the Capitol Visitor Center. That's when I went back into the gallery, and then we got that series of instructions. So Um, Again, I think your mind just says, well, okay, maybe it's a dozen people got in. You know, maybe the Capitol Police are having to deal with two dozen people. Um, As they raced us off, um, it seemed so ad hoc. Um, They said, we're going to get you to a safe place. Uh, And they started yelling Rayburn Cafeteria. And streams of us went down escalators through the tunnels um, journalists and others and staff uh, together, many, many, many members, of course, and raced our way through those tunnels with very few um, uh, officers uh, visual visible to us. Uh, in fact, the one man who was directing traffic literally had on one of those sort of yellow traffic illuminated uh, guard vests, go this way, go this way. Uh, And I remember um, as we ran out, you asked me about my colleagues, as we ran out, um, uh, some were, we were climbing over chairs, climbing over railings. Uh, I remember at one point, Paul Tonka was trying to get under a railing and whoever was in front of him didn't mean it, but kicked him in the face. It was just desperate, people just moving. They raced us to, and I don't know what the plan was, but they raced us to Rayburn cafeteria, which made no sense whatsoever because it was floor to ceiling glass um, on the ground. Um, And then someone, I started to call my staff and said, this is ridiculous. This is not a safe space. I don't know what they're thinking. And not too long after they moved us over to what everybody now knows was uh, the ways and means room. But the conversations were stunned, terrified disbelief. It was at least two hours before I saw television and knew the volume and the violence of what was going on. Um, I, I, I'm i still upset over staff and what happened to staff. I remember at one point when we were guarded into a room, I'm sure it was with the best intention, but they said, you know, members only, members only. Well, what was staff supposed to do? Stand in a hallway and be victim? Um, so... Fortunately, it was just a mix of folks that all went into that large room where I made the remainder of my calls to family, said, I'm in a safe space. and Can you tell us where you are? And I said, no, because they've asked us not um, just for everybody's safety. But I assure you, I'm in a safe space um, with many of our colleagues. Um, and then uh, I stood there with Susan Wild. I remember in particular, I pulled up a chair and she sat down um and uh who's our colleague who's a doctor is it Ruiz um oh I'm forgetting his name but the colleague who is a doctor physician he came around to a person and said are you all right do you have any underlying health conditions you saw the photograph of Susan Wilde with Jason Crow holding her hand up in the gallery as they awaited um their escape and uh she talked with the doctor through what she was feeling um, and he talked her through it also um, so i i tell you that to say that i i remember i said right away to my colleagues that we have to catalog the heroic kindnesses uh the the good acts along with the bad. there were lots of good acts
4: and you were in that room for how long i think it was
5: four plus hours, and how this is how disorienting the whole experience was. I was desperate for a ladies room and a television. And then I looked around and I said, oh my God, of course I know this room very well. I was here for impeachment one. And so I knew the back rooms, I knew where the ladies room was. Uh, and uh, so probably halfway through our holding, I went back into that small area behind the Ways and Means Room uh, where members Republican and uh, Democrats were watching news. We had Fox on, we had CNN or MSNBC. So it was literally about two hours in when I got to see the, the magnitude of this insurrection and, and the, the gravity of it. Uh, and so I was back there, get water, use the restroom and, and just watch in stunned disbelief in that back room with Republicans and Democrats.
4: And at that point, as you understand how many people came to the Capitol, at that point, now what are the conversations like with your colleagues? Uh,
5: I, I remember I spoke to a couple of Republicans, both of th- three of whom said, let's just make this a private conversation. So I wouldn't say who it was, but they too were stunned uh, and shocked and in horror and in disbelief. Um, I will say there was a moment early on in the holding room that I, I thought was very powerful. And that is when um, both Hakeem Jeffries and Liz Cheney stood, you can picture the room, with microphones, each of them, you know, parallel to each other um, and saying the same words, you know, directions as to please don't reveal where you are. Don't take interviews um, if you have any issues, any medical issues you blah, blah, blah. And in in unison, uh, the power of saying, and we will go back and complete our duty. We will return to the floor uh, and complete our constitutional duty. Uh, I, I thought it was just a powerful moment of unity and of clarity that we had a job to do. And this shameful, deadly insurrection incited by a failed president would not stop us.
4: You are in that room for four hours. What happens then? What happens next?
5: Let me point out also while we were in that room, which did make the news and it should have, um, most of us wore masks and some scoffed. uh, And, you know, we had to be necessarily quite close together um, because it was hundreds of people. And some scoffed. Uh, You saw as Lisa Blunt Rochester very graciously offered masks to uh, Republican members who said no. Uh, So between the shame of the arguments, the shame of aiding that incited insurrection and the shame of using the pandemic as a political football and not being interested in protecting themselves or their colleagues or their staff, it, it it was just an infuriating set of, Emotions. I was in touch with uh, Mary Gay Scanlon, um, my colleague in Pennsylvania. She was trapped in her office and invited me when I should be released, invited others, invited. We we go by the Fab Four. Uh, In fact, we all wound up there. Um, After being in that room for so very long, um, uh, uh, I texted her, was she still okay? Still okay. Uh, And so I made my way now in the dark, I don't know what hour it was, to her office in Longworth. Um, And she let me in. She had literally barricaded her doors, she had moved her desk away from the window. Uh, Just a total quick um, reconfiguration of her office entirely to protect herself against an attack. Just insane. Insane. So I spent maybe an hour or so there um, with her talking, seeing how she was. I think Susan came in. I know Chrissy Kate, Chrissy Mulohan came in. Susan Wild, and everybody talked about where they were.
4: How often do you think about that day, and um, does it does it make you get emotional when you do? I'm sure
5: I think of it every single day, mostly not emotionally, mostly in utter disbelief that that actually happened. It is stunning to me that Americans attacked Americans, that they attacked police officers. They beat and in one case killed a police officer. And it was all riled up and radicalized over an incredible insidious infection, an infection of lies about one another, the power of lies to do that kind of damage to human beings, to our democracy, to our seat of government. So I know I think of it every single day and I think of the precariousness of it all. For the Republican members who continued with the challenge, I always think, don't they realize they were at risk just as much as I was? Those rioters weren't going to say, oh, wait a second, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? They didn't care about Mike Pence being a Republican, being the vice president to the president and to all of us. They wanted to kill him. If they had gotten their hands on any one of us, it's It's infuriating, and I'm in a bit of disbelief to this day.
0: Shortly after 3.30 in the morning, on January 7th, lawmakers certified the results of the 2020 presidential election.
1: The whole number of electors appointed to vote for president of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for president of the United States are as follows. Joseph R. Biden Jr., of the state of Delaware has received 306 votes. Donald J. Trump of the state of Florida has received 232 votes. The whole number of electors appointed to vote for Vice President of the United States is 538. Within that whole number, a majority is 270. The votes for Vice President of the United States are as follows. Kamala D. Harris of the state of California has received 306 votes. Michael R. Pence of the state of Indiana has received 232 votes. The purpose of the joint session having concluded, pursuant to Senate Concurrent Resolution 1, 117th Congress, the chair declares the joint session dissolved.
0: Follow this podcast and get all five episodes. There's more coverage of the events surrounding the January 6th joint session and the congressional hearings examining what happened on the Capitol that day at cspan.org.